You are listening to Sky Women, episode 22, Joyful Dermatology. In today's episode, we are talking all about how to make skincare uncomplicated, safe, and fun. Dr. Alale Akavan of Joyful Dermatology joins us, and she is changing the game in terms of how we talk to ourselves about beauty and skincare. Welcome to Sky Women. I'm your host, Dr. Carolyn Moyers, a wife, mom, and board-certified OB-GYN. This is a place to educate, empower, and inspire. Join us each week as we share the power of women's stories. Real women, real stories, real inspiration. Put on your stretchy pants. Let's get going. Welcome, Sky community. We have an exciting episode today with Dr. Alale Akavan. She is a board-certified dermatologist and the founder of Joyful Dermatology in Dobbs Ferry, New York. Dr. Akavan helps her patients navigate the unnecessarily complicated world of skincare and dermatology services to experience what will truly make them look and feel their best for years to come. Along the way, she's working to change the conversation around beauty and to fundamentally transform the way women speak to themselves. Welcome, Dr. Akavan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm so excited. Ever since I heard you present your concept of joyful dermatology, I was in. I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. So tell us about joyful dermatology. So joyful dermatology was, as you said, created to have a really self-affirming space for women and men, but most, you know, I, I gear it towards women who are interested in finding out like what they should do for their skin. And it's a place where not only will you know exactly what to do and when to do it, but you also are sort of, in my mind, I keep my patients safe from doing all the things out there that I just feel like they shouldn't be doing. The world of skincare is just increasingly complicated and there's, we're being constantly marketed to, and it's just really, really difficult to tell what is legitimate, what isn't, what you need, what you don't where to put your dollars, where to put your time, and who to trust your skin to. And so with all of that in mind, I created Joyful to make everything as uncomplicated as possible and as safe as possible for my patients. I love that because it is complicated. There's so many products out there and trying to compare and make sense of what works for you and what you should really spend your money on is hard. So give us your top things, first of all, top things that we shouldn't be doing, mm -hmm. and then your favorite skincare regimen, like the right. basics. Okay. So I think one of the most important things in general for women is that you can't fully trust yourself. So you have to find the person that you really do trust. And what I mean by that is that very often patients will come in and there's something about themselves that's bugging them, right? There's some a, one particular line, one area here, oh, my jowls are a little this way or that way. There's something that they're seeing, but they lost the ability to see themselves as an entire whole person. You know, my mother used to say to me, you are not a collection of parts. You know, like I would say, oh, my feet are big and my hair is this and my nose is this. And she'd say, nobody sees that these, we see you as a whole person. And that's something that can be very, very easy sort of to forget. So one of the phrases I like to say is don't chase the before and after. That before and after shot is used over and over again in Instagram, YouTube channels, et cetera, to be like, look, like this could be your transformation. But chasing that is the fastest way to making yourself look weird. <laughs> so I think small incremental changes over time where someone is looking at you holistically, there's an honest discussion about what your long-term goals are. 
and you're doing things just slowly and incrementally and doing things that are optimal for your skin health is the way to go. So that 10 years from now, you haven't taken the slow turn towards looking very weird. That's great advice. Like we have to trust ourselves, you know, and in our intuition, but also you're absolutely correct that we do focus in on that. Like mine is my melasma and these new lines that I'm seeing that I didn't have before, right? And you just start picking it apart and you can go down this spirally road until you don't even recognize yourself. So oh, absolutely. And even trying to be, you know, with many things we teach patients to be you know, educated shoppers and try to try to see what they're being advertised to. And it's different when you're realizing that you're wearing the same color shirt as everyone in a season because it seems to be on trend, but it's a much more dangerous thing if you're doing things that are trendy because you're being sold this over and over again in, in small ways. And so for example, last year in my practice in Manhattan, um, I'm opening a practice in the suburbs of New York now, but I, I was in Manhattan before. I all of a sudden was doing tons and tons of jawline filler. Like patients would walk in and say, oh, I want my jawline, my chin filled. And it was absolutely the beauty trend where all of a sudden people needed this Herculean like jawline in women. And then it was like the year before it was almost none. Nobody wanted it. And all of a sudden it was like one of the most asked for fillers. So that's just a beauty trend. And so to me, that is not the kind of thing to chase. If clearly if someone needs some balancing in their chin or whatever, that's doable. But I don't believe that the general population needs to have their chin filled, you know, things like that. Right. So a couple of thoughts came to mind as you were talking. Mm -hmm. One, hopping from providers to get your aesthetics or bargain basement hunting your aesthetics online, you know, like the Groupon. (laughs) What are your thoughts there? (laughs) It's a fast way to get in trouble, right? It's a fast way to get in trouble. You are better than a Groupon. Just remember that. Tell that make that your mantra. I am better than a Groupon. Again, the stakes are really high. This isn't a massage, right? This is a big thing. And this is, can have a long-term consequence for what you do. One burn, one inappropriate thing can truly be like life altering for someone. And so it is much better if you're, for example, on a budget, there is no rush. You are not in a rush. You're not behind in the skincare game. You don't need to do something immediately. It is much better in my mind to save up your money, make this a, a, goal, like a luxury item goal as it is, and go to someone by someone, I mean a board certified dermatologist and get the appropriate procedure for you. That's again, optimizing skin health and, and it's going to be just make you feel wonderful and to save your money for that, then to get lots and lots of sort of mediocre procedures. It's again, it's a very quick way to end up looking super strange. Okay. So top things that you shouldn't be doing. You've touched on a few. So should not be doing one is like I said, being aware of beauty trends. So jumping on the trend train every single time something new comes up and being like, well, now I must change everything, right? That's, that's huge. And trying to be sort of more educated than that. And, and I hope, and it's hard, it's hard. And that's honestly part of why I've created joyful for myself is to help guide people through what's sort of out there and what's really necessary. The second is feeling like you have to do all of it, right? So I must use all the products that they say, and I must do all of these things, but being more curated than that is definitely a much better way to take care of your skin. You're much less likely to have reactions. You're actually more likely to be able to tell what is effective for you and what isn't. When you use a ton of things at once, there's no way to know. Another thing is falling for some of the marketing in terms of clean beauty or natural and organic products or things like that. You have to be really careful who you watch in this field. And a lot of those products are are truly, truly purely marketing. There is no industry standard for what makes skincare clean. Skincare is actually very regulated in this country. So 
there is no such thing. There is no such thing as an organic product that is better than an inorganic product. It, it doesn't, you know, I always say poison ivy is as organic as it gets and it's not a great idea to smear it on your face. So you can't, you can't just go with that. So I think that's a really intense trap that people fall into. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a big movement for more organic, well, especially like in the infertility world, right? They're talking about clean beauty. And, and so how do we decipher that? Help us. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of it is just keeping it very, very simple. So that in the things that you are using, you, you, you know, again, the more things you have, the more you're looking in every direction and chasing all the balls and trying to try to figure it all, it gets very, very complicated. So keeping it very, very simple and finding some sources that you trust is one of the ways to do it. So one of the things that also I feel like happens, for example, in the infertility world where patients will come to me and say, oh, I'm interested in stuff. But my doctors just said, well, stop everything while you're doing this right? Like just stop, stop doing everything. Or they'll say, well, just wait till after you have your baby and then you can get started on skincare again. Right. And then, and then when they have their baby, everyone says, oh, well, just wait until you're done breastfeeding. I mean, don't worry. It's not really the time to think about it. And while I think it's really important to realize that like, again, you're not behind, there is no rush. I think it's really short-sighted because many women, I always joke that I've been pregnant for the last 10 years. I have three little girls and I've been pregnant or nursing someone for a very long time now. I feel you. (laughs) I mean, you know, <laughs> but I feel like it, it's sort of a little lazy to just say, just forget it all until it's done. So if, if there's specific, you know, skincare goals, we can work around it. My infertility patients, we can even do things like I love resurfacing procedures, procedures that create new collagen, get rid of old sun damage, they're fundamentally healthy for your skin. So my, would I do it on a pregnant woman? No. Are you automatically pregnant because you're undergoing infertility treatment? No. Right. So we would, I would say, come on in when you have your period or come on in when you, right before you have an implantation. So we would time things and, and make things that make sense for the woman's you know, life. And I think my patients are just really grateful for that dot to just to be written off, you know? Right. Right. So you brought up like my cup of tea. A lot of my patients are in their childbearing years or planning a family. So let's talk about pregnancy and postpartum skincare. Let's do it. Like I said, this is a really particularly sensitive time for women. One, I do feel like that's a, that's a specific time that you're sort of feeling extra careful or you want to be really careful and sacred with your body. And so that actually I think makes you very prime for that marketing that I mentioned, that sort of natural marketing. So one big thing is, you know, remove things that are tech are truly not pregnancy safe. We can talk about that, but don't all of a sudden be like, Oh, pregnant must scrap everything and start all over again, because all of a sudden you're introducing yourself to all this new stuff that's out there. You know, another thing that's very specific is your body is in flux. The hormonal environment of a pregnant woman is constantly changing. So you'll have a patient that comes in and they have really terrible out, uh, outbreak of acne right when they first find out they're pregnant. And then I always say to them, don't panic. Like we can treat this, but you don't necessarily need a hard hitting acne treatment because for many of those women in a week or two, it's completely gone and they are glowing the rest of the pregnancy, right? So you don't want to make, make a really big long-term moves during that time because your, your skin is constantly in flux. But there are some things, like I said, we can do in pregnancy. So one of the things that patients um, bring up a lot is hyperpigmentation or skin darkening during pregnancy. It's a huge concern for a lot of women. And so melasma is the, you know, the darkening that people get. We call it the mask of pregnancy is the other term for it. It can affect the upper lip and the, and around the cheek. So one of the things I like for that is there's a product called azelaic acid, a compound, and it can come in a prescription form. There's a, there's a prescription product called Phoenicia. It can come in an over-the-counter form. It, there's one that I like from the ordinary. It's a 10% azelaic acid solution. 
And azelaic acid is a naturally occurring compound in the body, and you're just applying it on top of the skin. It's considered to be safe in pregnancy. And why I like it is it's a treatment for acne, for rosacea, and for melasma. If you were not pregnant, would this be my number one treatment for acne, rosacea, or melasma? No, it's not an absolute hard-hitting medication, but it covers all three pretty well. And so when patients are using it, particularly during their pregnancy, if they're noticing a little acne rosacea, which often happens from just the hormonal changes, using that as lake acid can keep you from getting uh, the melasma. But the most important thing with melasma is your sunscreen. It's not a suggestion. (laughs) It is an absolute must. And it should be from day one. I, I tell my patients to use a mineral sunscreen. And my favorite is there's a brand called, there's La roche Posay Mineral Tinted is my favorite one. I can say it again, La roche Posay Mineral Tinted. And it's a nice mineral sunscreen that just sits on the surface of your skin and it makes your skin look beautiful, which just feels good. And will keep the sun from causing that darkening that's there. Plus hats, plus sunglasses. Really, really, really be protective of your face during pregnancy for those reasons. Okay pregnant or not. I know when we're in the sun, people are really good about reapplying their sunscreen every two hours. However, we put our sunscreen on in the morning before makeup. Are we supposed to be reapplying it when we're just like doing our normal activities, going to work, the grocery store, et cetera? So what I always tell my patients is that I know you're not going to. So to me, the most effective sunscreen is the one that you do. Okay. So telling you, yes, you must reapply it every two hours. I don't believe for a second, the vast majority of my patients are doing it. Right. So what is my, what is my next favorite thing for you to do is I like powdered sunscreens. So I don't use powder sunscreens as your primary sunscreen. And the reason I don't like your powder sunscreen as your primary is that it doesn't evenly apply. So you're going to miss spots. It's not like a perfectly even application. It doesn't really have great lasting power. But what I have patients do is apply that mineral sunscreen that really is quite thick. So your skin, it it feels nice in nicer formulations, but it's definitely thicker than the sunscreen you're used to. So I put on a nice layer of the mineral sunscreen in the morning. And then I have you, you know, if you're going out to lunch, walking out to grab lunch or going to your car or whatever, you just dust on the powder sunscreen before you walk out the door. It is imperfect, but it's better than you were going to do otherwise. And so I, I take it. I accept it. I will. That's good enough for me. I love that. Okay. So I picked some up yesterday, actually, because oh. I <laughs> was like, I need a middle mate because I'm not going to reapply sunscreen yeah. in my face in the middle of the day. It's just not going to happen. So um, well, do you because ha- it kind of like absorbs some oils. It, it almost is like a little dusting of, you know, a little makeup you dust. It's nice. Yeah. And you can get it. I know it comes translucent and then different shades. So that's kind of nice. Do you have one that you favor over others? I um, like the color science, the brand is color science. And it comes, like you said, in translucent various shades. But again, the one I like is the one that you use. So if there's one that's closer (laughs) to your house and they sell it nearby and you like it, as long as it doesn't have a bunch of random ingredients, it doesn't need again, like simple is better to me. As long as it's, you know, a nice, simple, regular sunscreen, like a dusting mineral. I don't really care what you use. Okay. The one, this is the one that I like. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So you touched on melasma, you touched on the things that we can use in pregnancy mm-hmm. and, and we can do facials in pregnancy, right? So what about, no, you're making a face. <laughs> <laughs> I don't love, okay. So unpopular opinion alert here, but I don't love facials in general. I think that it is a short-term improvement. So what are most facials doing is they're taking 
what are, I call sebaceous filaments, oil clogged pores, et cetera. But that's really a short-term improvement, but it can have a longer-term consequence of scarring, et cetera. I don't like people at touching people's faces and there's just absolutely no need for it. So I don't know. I don't, I don't do facials or like them, but in pregnancy, actually, I think that it's really important to avoid anything like that. The less that you can do that could cause potential harm, the less that you can do that can cause scarring, the less that you can do that can cause infection, the better. You don't want to, uh, to have to deal with that in the aftermath. That's part of why I don't like those. Like I said, uh, using essential oils, like, you know, I, have, I literally have patients come in and go, well, I'm pregnant. And so I started using like this oil on my face. I'm like, why, how do those relate? <laughs> but somehow it felt like natural and good to apply the oil that their friend gave them. Right. And it ends up happening. They get an allergic reaction to it because they're sensitive. And then now I have to treat a pregnant woman for like a full contact dermatitis, you know, allergy. So they don't, so no one really needs to throw out their products whenever they get pregnant, unless they're using a retinoid, right? Yep. So retinoids, I don't like retinoids in pregnancy. And the data there is based on the fact that we know oral forms, pill forms of it are very harmful. And so we assume there's some absorption and through the skin. So retinoids, you really don't want to use in pregnancy. There's some other medications like, you know, salicylic acid or benzoyl peroxide that are commonly found in over-the-counters that are like probably okay, but maybe not the best. And so we tend to avoid them unless we need them, but in the right patient, sometimes we need them. Retinoids actually get a very bad rap in lactation. So when women are breastfeeding, they're often told to continue to avoid them. That has not been shown as long as it's not on your nipple and not being fed to the baby. Actually, most dermatologists still won't give tretinoin to to lactating women because they say, oh, well, why not? Let's just be safe about it. But again, as someone that did sort of long-term breastfeeding with their children, like I know why not. I would have wanted to start a retinoid earlier. And the data is just not there. The data is actually that tretinoin is really poorly absorbed through your skin. You have to remember that your skin was created as a barrier. It's that's its actual function is to keep things out of your body. And so that tretinoin that's going on just your face is not really absorbing very well. So I think fine to use in lactation as long as it doesn't come in contact with the baby. Okay. That's good news for nursing mamas. I love that. Okay. So microdermabrasion, can we do that in pregnancy? No. Again, I would not do, I actually, in general, again, microdermabrasion, not my fave. (laughs) It's not my favorite modality. I like things that are incredibly controlled. I like to know exactly what I'm doing to your skin and exactly how you're going to heal from it. So for example, again, this is not to be done in pregnancy, but I love resurfacing type lasers and there's various forms. We have lasers that are called ablative lasers where the top layer of the skin is gone and you reheal fresh new skin. That's a little bit more intense. You've heard of fraxel or fractionated lasers. In those cases, you have tiny little areas of control damage that are created in the skin. And in that case, heat, your body then goes back and heals it. So you have brand new healed little areas of skin. And each time you repeat it, a different area of skin is being done. And then there's some other newer technologies that do other things. Like there's one that I use that has a little pop of pressure under the skin. And that little pop of pressure causes you to have this response where you create brand new skin there. So these are kind of more controlled ways than just abrading the top of the skin. But in pregnancy, no, again. And why do, why do I not like it in pregnancy? Your, your wound healing is not as good in pregnancy. So fundamentally, when you're doing dermabrasion or anything that's physical, you're creating wounds on the surface of the skin and then expecting someone with poor wound healing to come back and take care of it. There's always a risk of infection with something like that. And again, there's no need to introduce that to a pregnant woman. This is such good information. Like I'm eating this up. So I know that, <laughs> know that our listeners will. All right. So hair loss, postpartum hair loss. We've yeah. got to talk about this. 
So it is called telogen effluvium. It's very common. While you're pregnant, you're retaining your hair. And so after pregnancy, it's like no longer needed. And so we lose the hair that we've retained plus a little bit more. The common thought is that you regain all your hair back, so don't panic. And that's true for many people. It can unmask what we call androgenic alopecia or female pattern hair loss, where women who are already prone to sort of losing hair based on the hormonal profile over time as they age, that pregnancy sort of jump starts there. They have the telogen effluvium, that pregnancy related hair loss. And then they start noticing, hey, when my hair grew back, it didn't quite grow back where it was, right? And that's because those two types of hair loss are sort of coming into play at the same time. For most women, it will come back. You'll get like, you know, crazy little hairs in the front of your head that you're going to have to deal with and it'll come back again. And there's really nothing that you have to do. Making sure your vitamin D levels are good, making sure you're taking enough iron, you're asking your body to create new hair and iron's an important element in that. So making sure that you have adequate iron intake and you're, you're sort of taking care of nutrition, all of that is super important as you're creating hair. And that will help with most people with telogen effluvium. The time to go maybe see a dermatologist for a workup for hair loss is if you've lost your hair postpartum and you're not noticing that hair growth coming back. Um, so I know it starts around four months that we yeah. start seeing that hair loss. You know, you're in the shower and all of a sudden you've oh got gosh. gobs. And no gobs. <laughs> so I think it is important to remember that it's self-limited, but when should we see that return of hair growth? I've always said like six to 15 months. It's very bearable. Six months is when most people maybe start seeing it. I wouldn't panic if you don't see it at six months. You know, we're all unique individuals, but exactly that sort of timeline. By a year, most women have short little hairs that are coming in and they go from there, but it does just start to grow in with time. Okay. Talk to me about your favorite skincare regimen. So in general, the sort of very basics of how to build a skincare regimen to me is you're going to start, and this is for all people. And again, the individual product would be altered based on your specific skin or needs, but the overall concept. So generally you, you would want to cleanse your skin in the morning. Now a note on cleansers is that this is not the place to spend a ton of money. There's plenty of really awesome drugstore cleansers out there. If you are someone that kind of tends to being a little acne prone or greasy, then a foaming cleanser like La Roche-Posay foaming cleanser is lovely. If you tend to be a little bit more dry, like CeraVe hydrating is lovely and can be a little bit hydrating, but the more expensive cleansers are not better. And the reason for that is that this is a super short contact with your skin. This thing is not living in your skin, right? You're putting it on for 30 seconds and rinsing it off. Its job is done very quickly. So you don't really need to spend a ton of money there. So you're going to do a very simple cleanser. After which, if you have any medications that you need to use given by your dermatologist, that would go next, like an acne medication or something like that. And then after that, your sunscreen. So your sunscreen would be your final layer of whatever you're putting on in the morning. Okay. And I actually don't put any sort of cosmetic things on in the morning. If you're feeling very dry, like let's the dead of winter or something like that, you can use a moisturizer in the morning under your sunscreen if needed. And I actually will use an evening moisturizer in the morning and just make it one product. And I'll give you some suggestions for that. At night, you cleanse your face again. If you're wearing a lot of makeup, which um, my goal for my patients is that they are so confident in their skin that nobody wears anything but tinted sunscreen. But if, if we haven't met yet and you're still wearing makeup, then <laughs> I will often have a patient just wipe their skin down very gentle and simple like with a, I don't know, like a Neutrogena makeup remover wipe or something like that. Just nothing crazy. You don't have to, I remember those old eighties commercials where they would rub their skin and show the cotton ball to the camera. Like that is not necessary. One quick wipe down, call it a day. Don't look back and then wash your face with your cleanser. Same gentle cleanser as the morning and Cetaphil. And really any of those really simple, less is more cleansers is the way to go. 
And then at this point, I would do moisturizer next, especially if you're new to retinoids, you put your moisturizer next. Again, my favorite simple drugstore one would be CeraVe PM. It's a light lotion moisturizer, especially for the season that we're entering. It's not particularly greasy. And then over that would go your retinoid. And you put a tiny pea-sized amount on the tip of your finger. You take your other finger and you make little tiny dots all over your skin. And then you blend those dots in. That's how a tiny little pea becomes evenly distributed on your face. When you first start a retinoid, you want to avoid around your eyes, around the corners of your nose. These are all places people tend to get irritated. Eventually, it will go right up to your eyeballs, but you got to kind of work your way up to it. And I love prescription retinoids for that. But you know, whatever. If you if you're brand new to retinoids, you can start with an over-the-counter retinol product. Okay, okay. Because one of the side effects of that is dry skin, right? And so dry skin irritation. You know, you're in Texas, sunlight and, and having issues with the sun are all, are all part of it, being increased risk of burning. Um, but of course, you're going to be so great about your sunscreen, that won't matter <laughs> in the mornings. But using, using a retinoid properly is important. And retinoids are like a, a, also a less is more. So it's not like, ret- I've heard retinoids are awesome. I'm going to like bathe in it. Like that's not how it works. That pea size amount is an actual amount. You don't, you don't want to really exceed it. You're using just a small amount. If you're super dry, do it every other day. Still too dry every third day, work your way up to daily. Like make it a goal that you slowly, slowly work your way up to daily. And if that's even still too irritating, there's other things we can do. Like sometimes I have patients actually put it on and wash it off when they're getting used to it at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's a good, that is it. that's so simple. That's you didn't simple. hear me say vitamin C. You didn't hear me say this or that serum, right? None of it. Because, You're blowing my mind. <laughs> yeah, I am going to blow your mind. And the reason is this. I cannot express to you how many times a patient comes into my office and they say, oh, but I heard about this new serum with niacinamide and, da, 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 and like this. I'm like, okay. Or, hey, how about this vitamin C? Or how about this? Whatever. I'm like, are you wearing sunscreen? Do you use a nightly ret- retinoid? It's like, well, yeah. Uh, right? <laughs> no. You're, to me, it's like asking me, what kind of sprinkles should I put on my cupcake? Like, you don't even have a cupcake. You didn't bake, you didn't put the, you didn't start the batter. Like, <laughs> make the batter, bake the cake. And then we'll worry about like, Oh, I've done all of this stuff. So perfectly. I've gotten my retinoid dose to the highest possible retinoid dose that I can handle over time. If you came to me and said, I did all of this perfectly. I never forget my sunscreen. I've been slowly increasing my retinoid. So I'm the highest prescription strength and my skin feels fine with it. Then I will talk to you about sprinkles, but I can't tell small percentage of people in my practice that actually is. Okay. So we've got down our skincare regimen. Now, If we're looking at the year, you've already told me you don't like facials. You don't like microdermabrasion. <laughs> so tell me, what is your go-to? What should we be investing our money in? Okay, I love this. I'm sure to tell you about my current skincare regimen and what I do for myself. And so in addition to the Botox, if lines at rest are bothersome to you, the other thing that I like is resurfacing lasers or some form of resurfacing. And I try not to give individual brand names of lasers because that also is really complicated. And each physician will have their own go-to thing that they use. So I think it's most important to find a dermatologist near you, a board-certified dermatologist, and to let them know they're interested in helping to reverse sun damage and letting them choose the modalities that they're most comfortable with. So for myself, I like to do a type of resurfacing that uses a little pop of pressure, like I mentioned, under the skin that then causes your body to think that it's been injured and go try to heal that area of skin and create brand new collagen in the area. That's it's a picosecond laser, but there's a variety of ways you can do it. Microneedling. Now microneedling is something that's been used in a variety of sort of spa-like settings also. That's a very different thing. So 
when you go to a board certified dermatologist, the level of the microneedling is completely different. So, you know, microneedling, doing lasers such as a fract- fractal or fractionated lasers, use heat to create little areas of very controlled damage, your skin goes back and heals. So all of these things are basically designed to take sun damaged skin, create some sort of really careful injury to that skin that your body then goes and heals and creates brand new healthy skin. So those are the types of procedures I like to do for myself. And I tend to do them once a month for about three to four months as like the initial amount that I do. And then sometimes I'll do like a couple of times a year thereafter, but it's really just wonderful to kind of reset your skin. And so that's something that I do. And then for anything that I want in terms of skin tightening, so I like to refer to it as like the snapback of your skin. Like when you pull your skin away from your, you know, get from your bones and you let it go, like how quickly does it snap back? And so we are improving the elastic tissue and also some of the deeper areas of the skin with that and the fascial layers. And so for that, there's a, again, a variety of modalities that you can use. There's um, technology that uses ultrasound. There's technology that uses radio frequency. And so again, it's less important to say, pick this one device with radio frequency versus another, because I actually don't think it matters. I think the best device is the one that your board certified dermatologist is comfortable with. But I think if that is the most important thing to you is sort of the lift of the skin, then using one of those devices is the way to go. Now, to me, that comes after having really healthy skin. Now, notice that in what I just said right now, I didn't say filler as an anti-aging thing that I do. And people throw Botox and filler together all the time. To me, filler is not an anti-aging strategy. You can take someone who has skin that's been very sun damaged, the collagen is breaking down, the skin is much looser than it used to be, it's thinner, it doesn't have the same integrity it used to have. And yes, you could theoretically grab lots and lots of filler and fill the face until the skin is taut again, right? But to me, that is not the strategy. The plan is to make that skin as healthy as it can be, to start to thicken it by increasing its collagen, to helping reverse that sun damage to treating it kindly, to putting moisturizers and really taking care of your skin. So you have the best skin possible. And then if there's issues of volume loss that you feel like you need to, you know, there's areas that you need, then you can do thoughtfully placed minimal amounts of filler, which is not the same thing as using syringes and syringes and syringes of fillers to return volume. And why, so why am I saying this? But most places you, you don't hear this is because the person that you're going to doesn't have access to the other stuff. Okay. So you're going to someone who is making you do Botox and filler only because they don't have these very expensive lasers or the, the training to be able to do them. Now, here's the other issue with this difficulty is that when you go to a lot of these like regular medi spas, some of these lasers sound like the lasers that I'm telling you, but they're not. So in New York City, where, I am, where I've been practicing, there's all sorts of little pop-up laser sort of areas, right? So what do I see from them? They either take a laser that's got a brand name to it that can be used really successfully, and they underutilize it. They don't really do the full treatment. They just do it a tiny little bit, because that way you can go tell your friends you got this brand name laser, but they are, don't have the liability of potentially burning you because they've used it so lightly that it's not actually doing anything. So to me, there's not really a value in going to see that because you're spending money that might be less expensive than a board certified dermatologist, but you're not actually getting much for it. You know, you're getting the bare minimum. Whereas the same treatments in the hand of someone that really knows how to use the technology and, and push it to the point where it's still safe but effective, you're gonna get something a lot more effective out of it, which to me is just absolutely the way to go. The other alternative, which is actually frankly scarier, is that they don't know the limits and they push the laser to a limit that they don't understand or use it in someone that's an inappropriate person and we all the time see terrible burns. So, you know, then that literally can become so terribly scarring that it is life altering and there's no coming back from it. So 
the number one takeaway for me is to make sure that you're seeing someone very qualified who has a reputable, you know, board certified dermatologist, a reputable practice and, and really trust them to help guide you with the ideas that I'm giving you of doing things that are fundamentally healthy and nice for your skin, which is the things that I've been kind of mentioning today. I love it. So just to recap that we've mm-hmm. got great skincare, right? That you outlined for us so beautifully, made it simple. doesn't have to be fancy and expensive. If you were going to spend money on one product in your skincare regimen, where's the most bang for your buck? Is it moisturizer, sunscreen? It's really not necessary anywhere. Okay. So it's really not necessary anywhere. That's the honest truth. So what do I mean by that? So sunscreens can, when the really, really cheapy sunscreens, you know, the kind that smell like coconuts, <laughs> they don't feel as nice, right? So they don't feel as nice in your skin and your face isn't going to feel as nice or it's going to get greasy halfway through the day, or it's just not going to make your skin look as good. So actually, I think it's important to spend a little money there, but not too much. It's like that beautiful zone. And why? Because that little bit of money that you're spending on your sunscreen is going to make it feel good to put your sunscreen on. And if it feels good to put your sunscreen on, you're much more likely to do it, which is the thing I actually care about, right? But if when you put your sunscreen on, you look better than when you don't put your sunscreen on, terrific, right? And that's actually how I feel about some of the beautiful tinted sunscreens that are out there. There's a brand called Elta, makes the one called Elta MD Elements that I really love. Like I said, the La Roche-Posay Mineral Tinted I love. So these are more expensive than the cheapest sunscreens but they're not so expensive. They're all like in the 30 to $40 range. So why do I like that range? Because it gives you something really great, but it's not precious, right? If you go get yourself a very fancy, precious sunscreen, we are all human. You use a tiny little bit of it and you try to stretch it and you don't let anyone else look at it and your kids don't get it. And you're super, super precious about it. And to me, that's a terrible way to go too. I don't want you to be precious about it. I want you to slather it on and use it again and again and put it up to your hairline and use it everywhere that you need it toss it on the back of your hands to keep that from aging. Like I want you to use it. So to me, that sort of range where it's not the super cheapy stuff, you know, but it's also not the super expensive. It would be a lovely place to spend a little money. Okay. So I didn't hear you mention in the skincare regimen, the eye serums. I didn't hear you mention a night cream or like, actually you said you would use the same night cream for morning and evening. Like keep it simple. You don't need two separate lotions. You don't need two separate lotions unless you're someone that's really exceptionally dry, in which case you might want to see your dermatologist because sometimes people have conditions like eczema or or have a tightness from rosacea and they they call it dryness, but it actually has an underlying reason that can be treated. But for most people just using it, first off, you don't have to moisturize. That's like a, you do not have, that is not necessary. Yeah. So if your skin is not dry and you look amazing the way you are and you're walking around feeling great about yourself, then you do not need to go out and get a moisturizer unless you feel, you know, unless you feel like it's necessary. If you're starting a retinoid, you probably want to add in a moisturizer at the beginning because it will help you get through the dryness that's associated with it. But if you're walking around today and you're not using a sunscreen, then like you need to stop what you're doing and make that happen tomorrow, right? So I don't feel the same way about moisturizer. It's helpful for you. It's not going to alter your life. I did not mention eye creams. Do I think eye creams are important? They're also a sprinkle right? If the feeling of purchasing this eye cream and using the slightly thicker eye cream under your eye feels nice to you, then it's not harmful to use it. Feel free. Like, sure. Like some people enjoy that aspect of self-care, you know, but do I think it's necessary? No. Do I think you're any worse off for not using it? Absolutely not. And patients that come into my office with bags full of like, you know, Sephora supplies, there was like, but it's fun, right? Massages are fun. Traveling is fun. Dinners out are fun. So many other things to spend your money on. Like, I don't think you need to spend it on like 
every product that you get a sample for of. So yeah, eye creams are fine if you like to use them, but not necessary. Okay. So you're telling me I don't need to go spend a couple of hundred dollars on my cleanser and moisturizer and night cream and eye cream. Yeah. You can just get a gentle, simple cleanser. You can just get yourself a gentle, simple moisturizer. Like this, like I said, the CeraVe PM is nice. There's plenty of nice ones. La Roche has a couple of nice ones. Elta has nice ones. Just get one that you like and that's it. There's no need to spend crazy amounts of money. There is nothing magic in like La Mer or like one of those, there's not, there's nothing there. It's branding, it's marketing. There's nothing special. Wow. Okay. If you spend $300 on a cream, you are going to convince yourself that it worked. Of course. It, it is human nature. You are going to convince yourself that it worked because otherwise you have to, you know, you got, you got egg on your face. So you have to, <laughs> people will convince themselves. So I'm telling you, there's nothing different from La Mer than the $40 moisturizer. Okay. So we've got our skincare regimen. And then you said, if you're bothered by your wrinkles at rest, do your Botox. Yeah. See a board certified OB or sorry, OB just overall. <laughs> See a board certified dermatologist for your resurfacing with your laser. And it's whatever they're comfortable with. Essentially, there's not yeah. one necessarily. So like I said, several modalities, like yeah. microneedling is not a laser. Let me be clear about that. But there's several ways to resurface one skin from things like microneedling to things like fractional lasers. One example is Fraxel to things like the Pico laser that I mentioned, the one I used Pico way, but like, you know, a Pico laser, there's a variety of ways to do it, but all of these different ways to build collagen in the skin. Right. Okay. And then skin tightening. Mm-hmm. And skin tightening is we're getting to the icing of that cupcake. You know, okay. we're not sprinkles. We're not the cupcake. Everything okay. else is the cupcake. So skin tightening is if you've done all of this and you're feeling like I've done all of this stuff, the skin quality itself is lovely, but I wish that it were all just hanging on to my bones a little better, you know, (laughs) then the next step is to do some skin tightening. And examples of that are if you've heard of things like all therapy or microneedling with radio frequency, those are all things that you are skin tightening procedures. Again, those are, we're getting riskier. So all in a board certified dermatology's hands, dermatologist's hands. And then when all of that is said and done and you're doing completely awesomely, you can use thoughtfully placed small amounts of filler to improve your cosmetic outcomes. But that is to me, not an anti-aging strategy. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Thank you for recapping that. Yeah. All right. I know that part of your mission of joyful dermatology is changing the conversation around beauty and changing the way that we talk to ourselves. So let's get into that. Yeah, please. This is my, like my passion in life. And a lot of it was born of a couple of things. One of them is in my office in the city in Manhattan, I would say, and I'm making up these numbers, but I would say easily between 80 to 90% of female patients that came into my office apologized for something during like their skin checks and things. Like they would say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. My legs are hairy. Oh no, I'm so sorry. I didn't do my nails. Oh, I'm so sorry. My, my, I don't have a pedicure. I'm just something. Oh, I'm so sweaty. Right. It just was so noticeable, like patient after patient after patient. And I would say, there's not, you know, no. And I started off giving a little speech and my nurse would go, we do not have time for this. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, okay. So instead I would make a little joke, like, oh, you should see my legs or something like that. Right. But it would strike me every time that these really awesome, really powerful women are just feeling like just super apologetic for something. Right. And then I cannot recall a time a male patient apologized for something. So I'm like literally checking like 80, 90% of the time to like zero. I cannot think of a time where a male patient apologized. I've been racking my brain for it. Can't think of one. 
They come in sweaty, they come in hairy, they come in all sorts of things. And they, they just lay down and do their skin check. Like there's just no, nothing there. So I've always felt like, what would it be like to like remove this burden from women's heads? Of like this, you know, the self-critical voice. And there's so many arenas where we talk about it, but I see it particularly in my field or I see it also in my field. And so, you know, I just, I, I was like, what would happen if we just didn't speak to ourselves that way? It would just really radically change the way women think about themselves. And so that's really what I've been sort of focusing on. And it's a really tough thing to do. You know, I just did a challenge on my social media. I'm at Joyful Durham on Instagram. And I did a challenge where I asked women to post a photo of themselves when they felt beautiful, knowing that this was going to be tricky. So I posted a very imperfect picture of myself. I didn't mask behind my children. A lot of people, a lot of women will only post with their kids because they're like, look at the cute ones in front of me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Right. So it was just myself and a chicken. And I posted the photo and I asked my, I asked, you know, people to post a photo of themselves. And I cannot tell you how many stressed out and angsty messages I received being like, I can't do it. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't do it? You can't post a photo. And they're like, no, 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 no. And I say, but you are, you're posting photos of yourself on Instagram. Like, but I can't do it and say that I'm beautiful in the photo. And it's shocking to me a little bit. Like, you know, it's not shocking. I know that this is what happens. And and honestly, we're not at fault for it. It's literally the messaging that we receive that there's something wrong with you and that you're fixing it. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we find it in this, the beauty industry. We find it in the sexual wellness industry yeah. for women. Yeah. yeah, it is rampant. Yes. They have, to, they have to sell you the idea that something is wrong for you to fix it. Right. Yeah. And so even in really well-respected derms that I love deeply, a female well-respected dermatologist, I will see a ad that tells you to, you know, get your swimsuit body back. Right. And I'm like, no, like you have not gotten the message that like literally wearing a swimsuit gives you a swimsuit body. It literally takes <laughs> one step. You just put the swimsuit on your body and ta-da, you have a swimsuit body. So I can't get behind that messaging. I can't make you feel bad to make you feel better because the truth is I don't feel like I need to. And that's what I'm trying to do because in my world, like, for example, if you are dyeing your hair, right. And you like your hair to not be white. Or you like to paint your nails because it's fun to have pink nails. Or you shave before you jump into a pool because that's just important to you, right? We could say that it's the patriarchy that is forcing you to shave your legs, but maybe we're all far gone for that. And some of us just want to, you know, at this point, whatever the underlying reason, I want my legs shaved before I jump in the pool. Sure. You can do all of these things for yourself. You can do things for your skin. You can do things for your nails. You can take care of your hair. And it can happen from a place of joy. It can happen from a place of, wouldn't it be fun if I took care of this? Or wouldn't it be nice? Or wouldn't it be a, a way to honor myself? As opposed to it coming from, oh my God, I'm hideous. My legs aren't shaved. Oh my God, my nails are disgusting, which I hear. Oh my God, my don't look at my hair. Oh my God, don't look at my skin. People will say to me as a dermatologist. And I'm like, why? You look beautiful. You can want to do things with me and not hate your skin, right? right? Like they're, not, they're, they're totally mutually exclusive. And so I'm trying to uncouple that. And then, by the way, there's the, the counter shame that happens where I have a woman that comes in and she has like a really high powered, amazing job. And she comes in and sits down and she goes, hey, I just, I feel weird because I feel like I'm not like a Botox person, but like, I kind of want, I don't know. Uh, uh, I mean, is everyone doing it? Like, should I, I don't know, but I don't like these wrinkles, but is it weird that I feel this way? And where is the shame in that, right? Like, do women go to their hair salon in a panic that maybe they're being too shallow? Like, for getting their hair cut. I wanted to get my hair cut, but I don't know. Is it shallow to think of myself in that way? Well, no. You just go to the hair salon, you get your hair cut and colored, you walk out, you feel like a million bucks. 
but why does my industry not make you feel that way? Why do you come in angsty and leave uncertain, right? Mm-hmm. What if you come to my practice and feel amazing to start and feel even more amazing when you walk out of it? So I feel it's a little radical, but I feel like it's possible. I've had people say to me, you know, like when I've looked at your Instagram, like, how are you going to sell anything? You know, <laughs> and I'm like, I really firmly believe that I do and I will. And I've never, ever used shame to get someone to do something. I think it's important. It's so important. This is, it is radical in your industry and I love it. I mean, I'm taking notes over here, friends. This is <laughs> good stuff. And I know you're, I mean, I'm a boy mom. I want to be natural and beautiful for them because they don't want to wait around on mom doing makeup or they're asking, why are you doing that? Like they think mom's beautiful without it, but like, I don't feel put together without it. Right. And so Mm -hmm. you're raising girls. So I I get why your message is even more keen, right? You're like, I'm an example to them. Right. And it's inextricable from them. It really is. Like I have three daughters. And my eight-year-old, she's sorry, she's nine now. She'd hate that I said that. My (laughs) nine-year-old was looking through my Instagram yesterday, you know, and I, there's nothing on my Instagram that would be like, Oh, give me the phone back. Not one thing, right. That I would not want my nine-year-old daughter to see. In fact, I see kids in this office in a very purposeful way, because I'm like, if they're being exposed to imaging, it's my imaging. I want them exposed to, right. Mm -hmm. I don't want to block children from this because you know, 12 year olds are seeing things on TikTok. I would rather they see what's in my practice and have see, you know, a healthy relationship with your, with your self-image. And so my, my daughter's being around has been a huge thing in creating the practice. And it's who I, it's what I want them to feel. And when you said about makeup, like, so I get, am I high maintenance or low maintenance, right? We always have these like oh, you know, have these conversations. Yeah. I get Botox. I laser my face, right? But I leave my house every single day by just throwing tinted sunscreen on my face and walking out the door. And I feel like a million bucks, right? I don't wear makeup at all. Zero. I don't wear makeup in the office because I want patients to see my skin. So that is how I do it. So which one's higher maintenance or which one is being more fussy? I don't know. There is no answer to that. It doesn't even matter. I don't want anyone to judge themselves. If you want to wear makeup, wear it because it's fun for you. Don't wear it because you're covering anything up. That's what, that's my hope for my patients, that they will feel awesome whether or not they're made up and that makeup becomes a fun tool. It's something to experiment with and enjoy. Like I give my kids little makeup kits to play, but I would never, ever want them to feel like they can't leave their house without it on. Yes. Yes. Because there are some women who will get up and put their makeup on before their spouse even sees them. Yes. But this is all meant to be fun. Like, you you know, and it's hard. We have been trained. I actually literally, I do not blame us. We have all been trained to think that we are imperfect, to think that we are far away from the ideal and it's all nonsense. And in my Manhattan practice, we saw tons and tons and tons of models and tons and tons of actresses and Broadway actresses. And that 80 to 90% rule that I gave you applies to them also. It's not like this sports illustrated model comes into my office and is feeling like a million bucks. They're also feeling apologetic. So it is just a universal female situation that I'm really hoping to change. We're all in this together, sisters. Yes, absolutely. But we're all working on our little corners. That's right. Okay. So what do you you want the biggest takeaway to be from those who are listening today? I think I've given a few big ones that I think are important. And one of them is I want you to see a board-certified dermatologist for your skincare needs. Don't feel rushed. There is no rush in anything. Be really intelligent about what you do next. Research people. Think about things. There is no rush for anything. 
nothing about you needs fixing. That is an, one of my lines and it's really true. Nothing about you needs fixing. There is no rush for anything. But when you do see someone see a board certified dermatologist, I want you to be really smart about the messaging that you're receiving and think to yourself, no, I'm not going to listen to this. I'm perfect just the way I am. And I'm going to choose this for myself. And it's use it as a mantra and do it over and over again until you kind of see what you're doing. And lastly, like wear that sunscreen. <laughs> it's really serious. Everything else that I've said is useless. If you don't listen to that point, really useless. And this also, I have to tell you, feels particularly um, important because if you've seen all of the Gwyneth Paltrow videos going around, if anyone's on social media, Gwyneth Paltrow did a video where she stated that she puts sunscreen on as a highlighter only in her most sun hit areas. And that is absolutely nuts. You should be putting your sunscreen on uh, all over your face and neck and elsewhere if needed for uh, exposure. But cosmetically, there is no single more important thing that you can do. You will reverse everything else that I talked about if you don't use it. I love it. Okay. So first I want you to tell everyone where they can find you. I am at Joyful Derm on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube channel coming soon. And my practice is Joyful Dermatology based in Dobbs Ferry, New York. So if you are ever visiting the city, come and visit. So exciting. And your office opens in April. Is that right? Yeah, it's slowly opening now. We're just finishing permitting and build outs, but um, the new office will be open any day now. And it's really beautiful. And it's on the banks of the Hudson River. And it's just going to be awesome. I'm just so excited to see where joyful leads us, you know, and what we can yeah. do with it and all the women, you know, and half of the space is an event space. And I just can't wait to, to kind of see what we can do for women in that space. Fantastic. Well, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you and I'm sure you're blowing all of our minds and simplifying <laughs> our whole thought process when it comes to skincare. I want to challenge everybody to go and do your Instagram challenge where they post a picture of themselves where they feel beautiful and tag at Joyful Derm. Yes, I would absolutely love that. And I will share your, I would, I would share it. I want to celebrate you. I want to celebrate what's beautiful about you. And if you are finding it really difficult to call yourself beautiful and do a challenge like that, I really ask you to try to think about why that is and just do it anyway. It's the first step. Just do it before you're ready. Before you're ready to call yourself beautiful, do it. And we'll get you to the point where you really feel that way. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Akavan. It's been thank a pleasure. So, so fun to talk to you. All right, Sky community. Thank you for listening to another episode. This episode was sponsored by Sky Women's Health. As a reminder, we're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and we help relieve back pain and pelvic pain in pregnancy and beyond. If you are pregnant and having pain and you feel like you have no reliable way to relieve it, look us up at skywomenshealth.com, request an appointment, and we'll call to get you scheduled. As a board-certified OB-GYN with a Neuromusculoskeletal Medicine Fellowship, I help you realign with hands-on drug-free treatment and relieve pain on the spot without medication. We'll help you maintain these results through your pregnancy and postpartum period. Every pregnant person deserves this, and we are so excited to serve you. You can find us on our website, as mentioned, or on social at Sky Women's Health, or you can call the office at 817-915-9803. That's it for today. Until next week, be well.